Welcome to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast, the only podcast that teaches men the cognitive mastery and alpha mindset that it takes to become an influential and irresistible man of confidence. Here's your host, certified life coach and international man of mystery, Kevin Ayo. What's up, my brothers? Welcome back to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Ayo. And we got a little wild last week. Didn't we get a little wild last week? I talked a little bit about karma last week. And, and even though I probably, I can't remember having ever mentioned that word specifically as a topic in a podcast episode, I do teach it. I talk about karma and certainly talked about karma indirectly in previous podcast episodes, specifically, as I mentioned last week, but also many, many years ago, many episodes ago, the mirror principle and the inversion principle. And brothers, it is getting wild, right? To talk about karma is getting wild because really what we're doing here is we're evolving. You know, karma is action. And for me to come on to this podcast, this is my karma. This is my action. This is what I do. It's what I do. And in the doing of it, in the presence of this happening, this phenomena, this karma, this talking, this teaching, this whatever you want to call it that I'm doing, to say that it's being done for any reason in the future or any reason in the past is a part of the fallacy of time. Is a part of the fallacy of time to say that I'm teaching, I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking here because I want to deliver a message. That would be something in the future. I want you to understand something. I want you to hear something. Or, or maybe because I want to make a living. This is how I make a living. To say that in some way, my talking now produces income, <laughs> which is erroneous in the vision of time. Or that it has to do with the past. That the reason why I'm talking is, well, because I have been studying or trained in a certain way of seeing the world, whether you consider that to be a, a philosophical or spiritual way or energetic way or mystical way. And then because of this, uh, my conditioning, because of my training and my teaching or my study that now here I am talking, it's a product of the past. And this is going to lead us into the episode today, because today we're going to talk about causality as a fallacy. We're going to talk about causality. I've, ta I've talked about this before. I've mentioned this to you guys before that it's an erroneous illusion. It's an erroneous belief. It's an illusion. Believe or to think that the present is the effect of the past and furthermore that the future is the effect of the present. And yet this is Newtonian physics. This is the causality that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You know, that somehow the world, somehow this way what we'll call reality is a bunch of billiard balls being knocked around, being knocked around and bumping into each other. And as, as one bumps into another, it is the cause that affects the other. And that all of these events are taking place. And that as they take place, um, it's transferred through or it's happening through time. And so even as I talk about causality, maybe time is a better thing to talk about here because time is a very difficult thing to understand to begin with. I mean, we as humans do not understand time. <laughs> In fact, it was a Christian, St. Augustine, I think, St. Augustine of Hippo. When he was asked about time, he said, what is time? He said, I know what it is, but when you ask me, I don't know what it is. 
And that's because time is not something that we can understand intellectually. It's not something that we can understand with our mind or explain with our thoughts. And yet, it seems absolutely fundamental to our life. Like, we could not exist without time. We couldn't understand life. We couldn't understand our existence or our awareness or our consciousness without this idea of time. So much so that we've not just measured it, so much so, brothers, that we've not just taken the time, <laughs> that we've taken the time, even notice that, that we've taken time. We use these words, we use these phrases, these turns of phrase, I've taken time. You know, time is money, we say. We say, I don't have enough time, or we say, time flies. All of these ways we talk about time, and yet we've measured it in seconds, minutes, hours, days, months. We've measured it, in, and we've looked at years some arbitrary measurement of a year. What is a year? Well, a year is the time it takes for the earth to go around the sun. That's how we measure this idea of a year. It's a time. It's a measurement of a certain cosmological event. And it's the event that gives us the idea of time. And so I think we should go into this question of what this is because it gets into this idea of causality. We think of time as a one-way motion, this is the Newtonian, right? The cause and effect, this causality, one, a one-way motion from the past through the present and then on into the future. And that's what we, that's how we measure our life. We measure our life and we measure these passages, these passages of boundaries. We boundary time into these little measurements. And in this motion, in this linear motion of time, it seems to carry along with it this other idea, this, this other belief that life moves that life, not just time, but that life moves from past to the future in such a way that what we begin to think or believe is that what happens now in the present and what will happen in the future is always the result of what has happened in the past. So we seem to have this idea that where we are now is the result of the past, and where we're going is the result of the now. And that in some way we seem to be uh, moving along or uh, driven along by this notion of moving time, of passing time. And, and this idea that, 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 that uh, we're driven by time, that we're driven by this idea of movement. Because brothers, you may or may not know, you know, psychology, as well, you know, philosophy, spirituality, religion, so many things I've studied. You know, I actually have a high school diploma. <laughs> you know, I have, I went, I've gone to college, um, I've taken college courses, but I didn't take enough college courses in the boundaries or blocks that the university wanted for me to get a degree. I actually have taken so many college courses, I probably should have a degree, but because I didn't take them in a certain amount of time or in a certain amount of way that, you know, they want according to their curriculum, I, I don't have a college degree. So it's very fascinating that I have all this education and yet no piece of paper to show it. In psychology, they used to talk about the idea of instinct. And of course, the idea of instinct came back. I've talked to you guys about instinct when it comes to smelling and hearing and how we utilize our ability to know in the now, that we have this instinct for survival, this instinct to procreate, you know, to have sex, you know, and so on. In psychology, they stopped using this word instinct, became unpopular. Psychologists, they wanted to use a different word. They said instinct, it was, it was too animalist. It was too unconscious, right? So we have to have this other word, this other word, and they use the word drive. It's, we have this need for food as a drive to survive. We have this drive for survival. 
We have this um, drive for sex, this drive to procreate. And, and since then, it's been changed once again to more biological terms. It's no longer a drive in psychology. It's now a genetic imperative to procreate, right? It's not a drive. It's simply a must. <laughs> it's something we can't not do, right? But at the time, you know, drive, it's a very significant word because it's brought out. It's brought out by people who feel that they're driven, that they're driven to survive. And in some way, they're at the whim of it, something outside of them. Something outside of them is driving them to survive. Something outside of them is driving them to eat. Something outside of them is driving to satisfy their lust or, or sexual desires. Now, I feel hungry. I feel lust. I feel these things as well, but I don't feel driven by these things. You know, I don't feel this need to fulfill these sexual urges or these biological impulses. I, 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 I feel them. <laughs> of course, I'm a human being. I feel them. But when I feel them, I simply celebrate in my humanness. I celebrate to say, yes, I'm alive. I'm alive because I'm hungry. There's a hunger. This hunger reminds me that I'm living. I'm a human being. I'm, I'm here partaking. I'm here participating in the phenomena. I have lust. So hooray. <laughs> Let's celebrate this feeling, this urge, because it means I'm here. It means I'm here in this here-ness. There is experience. There is sensation. You know, I don't try to resist them or to react to them or to reward them or even to apologize for them. I simply celebrate their existence and I celebrate my existence here. And the whole idea of being driven, this again, it's connected to this idea of causality, that life is a cause. It's, it's causing you. Then in some way, we're moving under the power of the past, that the power of the past is exactly and only what brings us to the moment, that brings us to the now. And that this is so ingrained in what appears to be some sort of common sense or conditioning that it's very difficult to see through, to pierce the veil of. And like I say, it has to do with Newtonian physics. It has to do with the way we're, not just the way we are taught educationally in our schools, in our educational system, you know, it's Newtonian physics, but also the way we're taught in our very basic models of the world. And I'll say this to you, brothers, I'll say this not as a belief, but as a knowing. I know I don't know when, <laughs> I'm not going to say in five years, 10 years, 50 years, 500 years, but I know that Newtonian physics will one day be as obsolete as the idea that the earth is flat. Today, we look at Newtonian physics as the law. We look at Newtonian physics as the natural law of things. It is the law, the law of thermodynamics, the law of cause and effect. The law of gravity. These are the laws of physics, the laws of the natural world. And I know, I know, I'm saying this now as a prophecy to you, <laughs> that one day these laws that we know will be, become myth. They'll become myth the same way that we, at one point in our history, we knew the earth was flat and we knew it and we taught it. And we believed it and everything. The way we viewed the world was based on this idea that the world was flat and had boundaries and borders and you would fall off the edge of it and it was carried on the back of a turtle out in the great space of, of everything. And we knew this and we lived this way and we experienced the entire world this way. And then we found this to be not true, just like we will find Newtonian physics to not be true because we have other ways of seeing the world now. We have quantum physics. And of course, as scientists try to merge Newtonian physics and quantum physics, what they find is simply that Newtonian physics just doesn't work. <laughs> At least not the deeper we get. 
And when I say deeper, I just don't mean smaller. I mean also inwardly. The more inwardly we go and the smaller we go, the more we realize Newtonian physics is the same as saying the earth is flat. And so I want to turn the thing completely around. I want to offer, I want to suggest to you here and now and say that the past, and I've said it before, but I'll say it here on this episode, that the past is the result of the present and that the present is the result of the future. I'm going to give you a couple examples, but again, I'm just going to talk (laughs) because that's what I do. I'm just going to talk. It doesn't matter to me whether you hear this, believe this, understand this. It makes no difference whatsoever. This is just my action. This is my karma. This is my doing. This is what I do. I philosophize. I talk. I teach. So let us suppose, just for the sake of an example, let's take one example that this universe started with with the Big Bang. And I'm not saying that it did start with a Big Bang. (laughs) You know, there's many cosmologists that believe um, that uh, the Big Bang happened, but there are also cosmologists that believe in a steady state theory, that there was never a beginning or or there's never a beginning to the universe. It's simply expanding and contracting um, infinitely. Uh, So we have two models of cosmology. We have two models of how the universe began. But if we take the Big Bang as an example, that the Big Bang is what happened, it was the present. At the moment of the Big Bang, if we say this is the beginning of the universe, and steady state cosmologists, you know, we can say you could pick an arbitrary point at any point in the now. The reason I'm using the Big Bang is because I want to have this, this present moment, this moment of occurrence, this event, the Big Bang, it happened. And so the universe began in what we can call the present, the now. It didn't begin in the past. That's a relativity the relativity of the now to the past, but it began in the now. And then it goes on doing its stuff, right? The Big Bang happened, it blows up, and everything occurs after that. Always when any event that we now call the past came into being, it came into being in the present and out of the present because the past is in our mind. The past doesn't exist in any form of reality. It's only an idea. So I even to talk about steady state theory, to talk about Big Bang, to talk about even yesterday is really just to tell a story. We're not really talking about anything except for our illusion of what we saw because in that moment, due to our limited ability to take in our environment, we're only remembering a fraction of a percentage of the now that we call the past. And so the past came into being only out of the present. And that's one way of seeing it. You see, to understand that If the Big Bang happened in the now, then what happened before the Big Bang? (laughs) What caused the Big Bang? This, I want to draw your attention to this illusion, this fallacy in the very idea, this idea of causality, this idea of Newtonian physics, this this idea that, that of cause and effect, that events are caused by previous events from which they flow or result necessarily. And so... Maybe to go back a little bit further, brothers, to understand the fallacy, to understand this, um, to understand why cause and effect is is a fallacy in the third dimension, we really have to begin by talking about this thing (laughs) that we've labeled an event. What is an event? What is an event? Let's look at an event. Let's look at any event. We can look at any event. We can look at the event of a human being coming into the world, a human being um, being born. Now, when does this event begin? When does the event begin? A human being coming into the world, where does it begin? Now, many, many people before the advent or the invent of abortion, 
most of the world would say that the beginning of a human being occurs at the moment of separation, partition, birth, when the baby actually comes out of its mother. That was before we had the medical procedure now known as, as abortion. But of course, this medical procedure started to call into question this idea of when a human being comes into the world, this idea of what is the actual event? What is the event? What is the beginning of life? When does life begin? When does a human being's life actually start? You see, because once this procedure had been invented, then there was argument. There was say, oh, maybe the baby begins, maybe the human life, maybe the human uh, being comes into being at the moment of conception. And all of a sudden, our agreement on this idea of an event changed. And we were in disagreement. And we couldn't say when this event took place. And we could even go back further. We could say, well, maybe the baby begins with the lust in the eye of the father, when the father sees the mother for the very first time. Maybe that is when the being known as the child comes into existence in some nothingness where there's, it's already happened, right? Or, or maybe it begins with the generation of the sperm in the scrotum. Sperm is always being um, created and dying, you know, testicles are always making new sperm. But maybe that is when the human being comes into the world, is when the sperm is made. Or maybe it's when the ovum, maybe it's when the ovulation of the mother. That's when the baby, that's when the being exists. Or maybe we could say the baby begins when the father is born or when the mother is born. Because that could be the beginning of the baby as well. Because technically by saying the father is born, well, inside the father is the baby. Just as we say inside the acorn is the oak. Inside the apple seed is the apple tree. And similarly, inside the sperm, inside the egg, or inside the being, the baby of the father, the baby of the mother, is the baby of the child between the father and the mother. And all of these things could be thought of as the beginning of the event, <laughs> of the beginning of a child, or the beginning of a being, or of a new human being, of life. But we, as human beings, have decided for purposes, <laughs> I don't know, perhaps identity or some sort of legal registration, that life begins at the moment of birth, begins at the moment of separation. And that's just a, a purely arbitrary measurement. It's just an arbitrary decision that we have made as human beings. It's, it's, it, it has validity only because we all agreed about it. And the same could be said on many levels. The same could be said about the sun. We ask about the sun. Or, or the same could be said about Vietnam War. <laughs> You know, we look at uh, periods of time. We look at events. We say uh, the Vietnam War was between 1955 and 1975. We say the Vietnam War began November 1st, 1955, and it ended, uh, you know, at the, the, during the, on the fall of Saigon on April 30th, 1975. Now, is that true? Is that, is that, can we say that's, that's accurately true? Because actually, all of those things which led up to Vietnam started long before 1955 long before 1955, into World War II, into World War I, into, into all of the, the spread of, of, of economy and governments and, and all different kinds of different things. There's all, the actual events are a part of the beginning. And those events were long before November 1st, 1955. And what about the repercussions? What about after? What happened after 1975? The repercussions of the Vietnam War have gone long, long after 1975. We are still seeing the repercussions of the Vietnam War today.
And how can we distinguish an event from its repercussions? How can we distinguish the war from the effects of the war? And so you'll see that because we have divided these events from one another in this arbitrary way based on dates and times, and then we do it and we kind of forget that we did it, then we have to puzzle, you know, put them all back together. Because you see, in reality, in the flow, in the movement, there's no separate events. Life moves. Life is, life is one. Life is timeless. It's all connected. It's all connected in the now. It's all connected as the source, like, like, like a river, like a river is connected. If we look at the river, if we look at a river, we say, that's a river, but we see it's connected to, to the mouth and to the ocean. It's connected to the waterfalls at the top of the mountain, all the way down to the ocean, that the river is just a segment of space that we look, the same way we look at events as segments of time. And to say that this is the river is to take out all of the other water that makes up all of the other bodies that are all connected. And it gives us the illusion, this fallacy of separate things and broken time. Again, brothers, you know, I've used this example before, this example of water, of we look at a water and I love hot water therapy. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew this. I love hot water therapy. I love steam rooms, hot tubs. I love saunas. I love cold plunges as well. So I love cold water therapy. I love hydrotherapy, you might say. And, you know, I enjoy taking a bath when I have a bathtub. When I'm, you know, in a third world country, those are more difficult to get a hold of, but I enjoy taking a bath. And every time I let out the water, every time I empty the bathtub, there's a, a whirlpool. You know that little whirlpool? It's the water being sucked down the drain. You can see it. There's a whirlpool right, right, right above the drain. And we and I see that whirlpool. We say that, and, and we when we look at the whirlpool, we say that's a whirlpool. We give it a name. Say it's a whirlpool in a bathtub, right? Because every time I unlock the drain, I will see that there is a whirlpool. And every time I take a bath, there will be a whirlpool. Now it isn't the same whirlpool because all the water is changing, even from minute to minute. Now from bath to bath, of course, it's different water, right? But even from moment to moment, even in the same as the same bath drains. From moment to moment, that whirlpool is not the same whirlpool because from one minute to the next, it's going to be different water that makes up that whirlpool. All the water is changing every second. What is happening is not really what we should call a whirlpool because it's not a steady state thing, but it's actually whirlpooling. <laughs> it's an activity, you see, not a thing. It's a verb, not a noun. And in nature, there are no nouns. In the natural world, everything is in motion. Everything is in vibration. Everything is in pulsation. Everything is moving, always. There, there is no steady state. There is no thing. And, and so we, we would call a, a thing, we would call an event a thing. And to say there is no thing, there are no events. There's always movement. There's always a, a, a vibration. For example, we would say a house, you know, I'm recording this in my brother's house. I'm in Oregon today. I'm recording this in my brother's house. We say a house is a thing. It's a turn of phrase. It's a way we talk. It's our language. We use nouns. Nouns don't occur in the world. They occur in grammar, in language, in speech. So to say this is a house is simply to take this vibration, this activity, this pulsation, and to collapse it into a thing. See, I'm not in a house. I'm, I'm here in a activity of housing. <laughs> 
the floor is flooring, you see, because it's pulsating in and out of being. It's there, it's not there, it's there, it's not there. It's coming in and out of existence only in the moment. When we see it, when we call it a thing, we say it had a past, it existed then, it exists now, and it will exist in the future. But this is not what's happening. In the moment, in the now, it's just popping in and out. It's vibrating here and there. It's there and it's gone. It's there and it's gone, like a game of hide and seek or peekaboo. We say we play peekaboo with our children. We play peekaboo with uh, toddlers, with babies. And we do this not knowing that this is, this is what the world is doing with us <laughs> and what we're doing with the world. And I could say the same about a flame. I've used this, as an, I've used this before as well. Um, my, one of my teachers uses this example. The flame. We say there's a flame at the end of a candle. But it'd be more accurate to say that there is a flaming on a candle because the flame is a stream of hot gas that it's, 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 it's not a constant. It's in movement. It's never the same. You look at it one moment and the very next moment you look at it, it will be different. It's a different um, configuration. It's still the flame. It's still it's holding its, its form as, uh, as a thing. And, and that's why we have the illusion that there are things, that there are events. Because, it's actually, because, because the reality of the flame is that it's in motion. It's flaming. It's a verb. It's an activity, not an event. And if we remember that there are no nouns, if we remember that there are only verbs, that everything is in motion, everything is in vibration, everything is in pulsation, we'll begin to see that we don't need this idea of causality. And this idea of causality is actually a fallacy. And, and to explain how any prior event influence a following event, it's like looking through a slit in a fence, right? If I look through a slit in a fence, and again, this comes from one of my teachers as well. I'm going to use this one. If I look through a slit in a fence, a narrow slit, and a snake goes by, and I've never seen a snake before, okay? But a snake goes by. So I see this. It's mysterious. I don't know what it is. And I see through the slit in the fence first uh, the snake's head, right? You see the head. And then I see a long trailing body. <laughs> and then at the end, I see the tail. And I might say to myself, well, that's interesting. And I see this thing, head, body, tail. And then the snake turns around and goes back again. And I see first the head, and then its body and its tail. And now again, I've never seen a snake before, and I'm looking through this narrow slit. So based on my uh, view of the world, based on my Newtonian education, you know, I will begin to say that the head, I call the head one event and the tail another, and it will seem to me that the event head is the cause of the event tail. That the head causes the tail. That the tail is the effect of the head. Just the same way we say, the past is the cause of the future, and the future is the fact of the past, or the now. But similarly, if I look at the whole snake, I will see a head-tailed snake, and it would simply be absurd to say that the head of the snake is the cause of the tail, as if the head came into being, if the snake came into being, first the head and then the tail. <laughs> as if it grew this way, you see, like it came out of nothing. <laughs> That's how we see time. We see time this way. That the future seems to come out of nothing. It's the effect, you see, that, that the tail, this cause, leads into the body and then the tail. All events are really one event. Just as the head, the body, and the tail of the snake is one snake. It's just one event. We're just 
we're looking when we talk about it different, at different events because we're looking at different sections or parts of one continuous happening. And because we're looking at different parts of one continuous happening, the idea of separate events, which have to be linked by a mysterious process called time and effect, becomes completely unnecessary and in many ways erroneous. I'll bring back the old story of the farmer and the villagers. <laughs> you guys remember the farmer and the villagers, you know, the... Uh, the farmer one day uh, let his horse go and the villagers came by with bad fortune. You know, you let your horse go, you won't have, um, you won't have your work animal to bring in all the crops. You won't be as prosperous. The farmer says, maybe, maybe not. Next day, horse comes back with three other horses. You know, he made some friends, three wild horses. And now the villagers come and say, what great fortune you have. You not only do you have your horse, but you've got three more. You have so much more work power. And the farmer says, maybe, maybe not. Next day, the farmer's son goes out to tame one of the wild horses, get him ready to work on the farm, gets thrown off and breaks his leg. And the villagers come by and say, oh, bad fortune. Look, you've, your son has a broken leg. He won't be able to help when the, farm, when, the, when the crops come in. And now, you know, you, you won't be as prosperous. You have bad fortune. The farmer says, maybe, maybe not. The next day, the army comes to the village, rounds up all the young, able bodies to go to war, but they don't take the farmer's son because he has a broken leg. So the villagers come and say, good fortune for you. They took our sons, but they didn't take your son. And when he heals, he'll be able to help you where our sons may never come back from war. And it keeps going on and on. And you know, the, the, the farmer says, maybe, maybe not, because he's not looking at these events. He's not looking at these bounded time events to where everything is a cause and effect of one to the next, which it's linked by these little things. It's the bigger picture of it all is that it's all happening. It's all happening now in this moment. It just is. It just is. That's why the answer is always the same. <laughs> the answer is always maybe, maybe not. Because now here, good fortune, bad fortune, we don't know. It, it is. It's both. It's neither. <laughs> it's just fortune because we're alive. It's happening. It's phenomena. We think about this in, in terms of present events as being caused by past events. And when we do that, we tend to regard ourselves as sort of the puppets of the past being driven by something that's behind us, being driven by them. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, the need to survive or the need to eat or the need to procreate. And now to overcome this impression, to overcome this idea that we are in this Newtonian sort of uh, billiard ball world. Now, again, brothers, in the world of form, everything affects everything else. You know, a butterfly flaps its wings and, you know, the effects are heard around the world. For your present, who you are in the present moment be an effect of your past, or even for you to say that um, what you do today is going to have an effect on tomorrow, or, or even to say that what you do right now <laughs> will have an effect on what will be the cause of an effect that happens in, in an hour or in the evening is really a lot like thinking that you're uh, the course of a ship in the ocean. You know, brothers, I was in the Navy. You know, these big ships out in the ocean. Because here's the ship, right? You see the ship and you see it and it leaves behind a wake. And the wake just kind of fades out. You know, right behind the ship, there's a big wake. You know, big waves. And as the ship goes on and gets further away from that point where the wake is that moment the wake gets wider and wider and fades out. And it tells us where the ship has been in just the same way as the past and our memory of the past tells us what we have done. 
But as we go back into the past, and as we go back and back into prehistory, and we use all kinds of instruments and scientific methods for detecting and what happened, we eventually reach a point where all record of the past fades away, just the same way as the wake of a ship fades away. Now, the reason why I bring this up, and the important thing to remember in this analogy, is that where the ship has been does not determine where the ship is going, or even where the ship is. Because the wake doesn't drive the ship any more than a tail wags the dog. And, 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 and this is, this is a, an argument that is uh, made quite benevolently, I think, for good reasons, but certainly not rational reasons. You know, you probably heard this argument made many times where supposing you have a, a child with demonstrating abhorrent behavior and the school um, might say to the, the, he's just demonstrating this abhorrent behavior in schools. And so the principal or the teacher will say, well, we need to punish this child. You know, we need to make sure that he learns. So we'll, we'll, we'll punish him. If he does something bad, we'll punish him. And what's come out, and you know, maybe he'll change, <laughs> maybe this punishment, maybe he'll learn from this punishment that, you know, in order to deter himself from being punished, he'll change his behavior. But now what people are saying is, well, we can't punish him. Let's not punish the, the child. We, we don't want to do that because it's not fair to the child. You see, if we punish the child, you know, the only reason the child is acting this way, it was because his parents didn't bring him up properly. You see, it's the parents. And so we don't want to punish the child for being conditioned by the parents. What we need to do is we need to go to the parents. <laughs> we need to go and we need to punish the parents. <laughs> the parents will say, well, I hear you. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. But look, like I had a difficult childhood too. Like my child may be demonstrating abhorrent behavior because of what he's going through in his childhood. But you know, the only reason he's going through what he went through in his childhood is because of what I went through in my childhood. And because of what I witnessed in my childhood, it makes me the parent I am. And now that's what my child is witnessing is in his childhood. And so you can't punish me because my parents are the ones that need to be punished. They were the ones that brought me up so badly. So that now that I'm bringing up my, my child so badly. And so then we need to go to the grandparents and the grandparents and the grandparents and the grandparents, but the grandparents are dead and we can't get at them. So in any case, you know, we need to uh, figure out how far back do we go? And certainly we could go all the way back to the Big Bang, or maybe we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They say that they started all of this. <laughs> and many, and some religions do. <laughs> they say, oh, well, we're just destined to be this way, of course. We're destined to be this way because of the laws of cause and effect and because of the original sin. And this is just the way it is. And because we are products of our past, and in the past we have this original sin, our future will always be what is, what is our present, which will always be what is our past. And therefore, we're just, we're just basically screwed. <laughs> That's where you get when you believe, truly believe, consciously or unconsciously, that what you're doing now is because of your past and where you're going is because of where you are. Because even if we look at that, even if we say, oh, because we can even go back there. We can say, well, Eve said it wasn't me. I wasn't the reason for the original sin. It was the serpent's fault. <laughs> you know, I, you probably remember the story of Genesis. Maybe, maybe you went to Sunday school, maybe not. But when God said, uh, you know, Eve, why did you eat the fruit? I said, don't eat the fruit. Why'd you eat the fruit? Why'd you do it? And Eve said, well, because the serpent tempted me, you know? Eve was obviously a student of Newtonian physics, you know? She said, I did this because of what happened there, because of what happened in the past. You know, the, I did this because of that. 
And so what did God say? Well, God looked at the serpent. And the serpent didn't make any excuse. The serpent didn't say, well, I did it because of this or that. Remember, the serpent was an angel. The serpent wasn't going to give a Newtonian excuse, give some sort of cause and effect, some sort of fallacy of causality. The serpent was an angel. The serpent knew causality had nothing to do with it. Because the serpent was wise enough to know that where the present begins, the present begins in the present. It does not begin in the past. And if you insist on being moved, that being determined by the past, if that's your game, that's fine. You can play that game. But the fact of the matter is it all starts right now. We like to establish a connectivity with the past because that gives other people the impression. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you ask me why I'm talking right now, well, I could say that, you know, because I want to make a living <laughs> or because I want to have a message, right? I could give you reasons. I could give you answers to get across to you. But that's not the reason I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, it's not the same reason I'm talking to you for the same reason that's not the reasons why the birds sing. It's not the same reason that the stars shine. You know, the birds sing and the stars shine because that's what they do. Because they like it, because they do it. I like it. I like to talk. It's my karma. It's what I do. And I could go on to give you all kinds of reasons, Ob, to make a living, to get you into the academy, to get to get a message, to help you grow, to help you with your personal development process, to spend an afternoon on my recording, whatever. I could give you all kinds of things, but they wouldn't explain a thing. Because explaining things by the past is really just a refusal to explain them at all. All I'm really doing is postponing the explanation. I just keep putting it back and back and back and back and back. I say it's because of that or that or that or that or that. We can go all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden. All the way back. That's why I'm talking to you now. Because of the beginning of time. Because of the Big Bang. That's why I'm talking. I could go all the way back. Explains nothing. What does explain things is the present. Why do you do it now? Now, of course, I'm, I may be... I may be cheating a little bit, right? Because this, this doesn't really give you an answer at all. But that's the, that's the paradox that confuses the mind so much. That's why the mind is so locked in time. Because it doesn't explain it either. It doesn't explain it for me to tell you that I'm doing it because I'm doing it. Because what happens now, you know, just as uh, uh, sound comes from silence and light comes out of darkness, you know, all of this comes out of nowhere. And this is what I mean when I say, you know, the power of nothingness, all of life comes from nothingness, you know, something comes from nothing. You know, life emerges out of nothing. We come from nothingness. We come from nothing into something and back to nothing because that's the duality. That's the pulsation. And why does it happen? That it's, it's, it doesn't matter. The question doesn't matter. It's, the answer doesn't matter because the question is erroneous. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Because the interesting thing is not why it's happening, but what is happening. It's not interesting to ask why is this happening, but what is happening. You know, not why does it. I can say, well, I'm doing this now because I did it then. And so I'm producing for you a continuous line of thought that actually I'm doing it backwards. I'm doing it always from now and connecting up what I do now with what I did so that you can see it as a consistent story if I define myself as a whole field of events, we'll say the organism environment field, which is really the real me, <laughs> then all the things that happen to me. And that is the sense of karma. That is the sense of action. It's a sense of spontaneous action, phenomena, occurrence in the moment. 
But even to say that we become free from karma, you know, freedom from being the, the puppet of the past, you know, that's, that's, that, that's nothing more than a change in your thinking. It's just your thinking. It's your mind that's locked in time, not your body. Your body is always here. Your body is always here. So it involves, in other words, you are getting rid of the habit of thought whereby you define yourself as the result of what has gone before. And instead, you begin to get into the more plausible and more reasonable habit of thought in terms of which you don't define yourself in terms of what you've done before, but in terms of what you're doing now. And that is freedom, brother. That is the liberation from the ridiculous fallacy of causality and this illusion that you are a dog being wagged by its tail. And that's what I have for you today. Until next week, my brothers, elevate your alpha. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. If you enjoy what you've heard and want even more, sign up for Unleash Your Alpha, your guide to shifting to the alpha mindset at thealphamalecoach.com slash unleash.